play the first Coast to Coast Pick 5, featuring a sequence from Gulfstream Park in Florida and Santa Anita Park in California every Saturday and Sunday. Both the $1 minimum and 15% takeout are very player-friendly. Players can bet on track or online, usually listed as a separate track in your ADW. Just look for Coast to Coast Pick 5 in the drop-down. If you play on First Bet or Express Bet, you can get a free $10 bet on the Coast to Coast Pick 5 on select days to participate. Do not forget to register for the promotion. Get the Pick 5 sequence, expert analysis, free pass performances, and more at InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash coast. And be sure to check the podcast we'll be doing every Saturday and Sunday for this new special bet. That URL once again, InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash coast. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the In The Money Players podcast. I'm changing course here. I was originally going to have this be a part two of the show that uh, I recorded with Nick Tamara. We were looking back at racing from last weekend, but we're going to let this one live on its own because I think it's a, a great evergreen topic and one that just quite frankly doesn't get enough attention. And it's a little bit of a piggyback off of the conversation we had recently with Maury Wolf about the difficulties of being a horse player. And I really believe this could help a lot of people. So we're going to dive into this topic. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, coming to you from the Brooklyn Bunker once again, and extremely pleased to be joined by a man I've had, uh, not on air necessarily, but by by volume and by hours, I, I've probably interviewed uh, more than anyone in, in uh, my entire life because I had the great pleasure of working on his book, Betting with an Edge. He's coming to us from Lexington, Kentucky. He's professional horse player, horse player advocate, Mike Maloney. Mike, how are things? Things are good, Pete. And I, uh, I'll, I'll second that emotion on uh, the, all the hours we spent together and most of them on the phone uh working on the book it you were a uh, I often called you my uh unpaid psychiatrist and uh, I, I actually worked out a few things with you over the phone but uh the checks in the mail <laughs> Jericho my man Chris Jericho once gave me the tremendous compliment of saying something similar so I guess that's uh you know I'm all right at that uh that co-author job I guess but yeah I'm in good company <laughs> but I love to uh, do stuff on air for the for the for the people listening for the horse players, and this is a conversation I think a lot of people need to hear. We in the book, I feel like more honestly than I mean, there's other books that deal with it, but for a book about being a professional gambler, we definitely pulled the curtain back a little bit on the the darker side of things and the trickier side of things. And you and I had a conversation; it might have been six months ago now about how difficult the game has become and you wanting to talk very specifically about strategies to deal with racing or any kind of gambling really when it starts to go a little bit the wrong way. But let me start off with the, the, the very basic question of where are you right now in your, in your journey? I mean, do you feel like you're back up on, on top of the world? Is this something you're still actively struggling with? Give us an update on that. Well, I, you know, 2023 has started off well, Pete. So thank goodness for that. Um, and, but, you know, last year was kind of my year from hell. Uh, 
gambling wise and, uh, you know, tested my patience, tested my resolve and, uh, uh, probably tested my wife's resolve at the same time. Uh, it, but you know, it, it's, I think there's a, there's a little distinction here too, in, in that all of us experience drawdowns, losing streaks, whatever we want to call them. Uh, it, it's just part of our game. And, and I'm, you know, I, I'm used to, to those ups and downs and, and the crazy things that happen in racing and they tend to happen in streaks and there's kind of an ebb and a flow to the, to the whole process of playing the horses. And it, and it's almost becomes kind of a perverse part of the action, you know, but uh, twice in my life, I have, I have experienced, uh, an extended losing streak that defied all uh, logic and defied all uh, previous experiences and made you think that someone was looking over your shoulder, pulling strings <laughs> in like how badly they could muck with you, you know? <laughs> so uh, that's kind of the distinction I'll make is, is uh, yes, I know that, that, that these kind of things happen, you know, to all of us. Uh, you know, a big percentage of the time, but uh, this is kind of about, you know, hey, this is uh, when the, when you get your ultimate uh, challenge, when you get your gut check, when you get your uh, the worst losing uh, streak that you'll ever going to experience. Uh, this is kind of my uh, of my walk through or down that path. Was 2022 one of those two experiences? Yes, it was. And in, in, in the, uh, the year 2000 was when I started uh, gambling for a living, you know, uh, from knowing me that I, uh, before that, I was a small business owner and uh, I gambled, you know, very heavily and significant amounts for uh, close to 20 years before 2000. So I had a lot of experience at, at the ups and downs of racing and, and, you know, doing it with bigger stakes on the line. But, um, it, you know, maybe we'll get into that, to that story of, of 2001 when I started. Yeah. I think I want to start there. Cause I think that's interesting because I have to say, I don't think I'm wrong in saying there were a lot more inherent advantages you had in the year 2000. You're still, it's not exactly early days of simulcasting, but they're, they're, they're still, a newness to it. They're, the computer money is minimal. Um, you were certainly some of the smartest, if not the smartest money in the pool. So that interests me that that far back and that early, yeah, you had a problem. What what happened exactly? All right. Well, I'll, I'll even go back a couple of years before that, since you framed it that way of, of edge wise. Um, the, the edge that got me excited and really uh, caused me to cross the line into betting for a living, which I wasn't ever, I was always curious about that, especially when I started winning at the track while I was running my business and uh, started to put more and more effort and, and, and time into uh, betting the horses because I, you know, I was having success and, and I could see that, you know, that there was, at least at this time, there was money to be made. What really pushed me over the edge was when simulcasting first became full blown, I'll say, 
where we could get full cards from most of the major tracks around the country. Um, I was uh, a little, you know, maybe a little naive at that point. It, it, it just didn't really occur to me that, that there would be uh, a huge shift quickly after this. But uh, at that point, that would be the late 90s. Um, you know, you, I was going to my local simulcast outlet the, at Keeneland or the Red Mile, and the, the edge that uh, a person like me had at the time I wasn't devoting all my time to, uh, you know, keeping a database and, and, and doing a lot of uh, the things that I do now. I was just trying to stay on top of, of racing in Kentucky and Saratoga in the summer, maybe, and Gulfstream in the winter, like most people. But um, I, I had a feel from being a lifetime horse player and, and going on vacation at some of these different tracks and, and, and watching different circuits that in evaluating horses from different circuits, I think I had a good feel for multiple circuits around the country. And that gave you a huge edge, whether you knew everything about the individual horses or, uh, or, or, or riders or every situation, just knowing kind of the flow of that circuit was a huge edge. So uh, that is what initially caused me to make the move into being a full-time horse player was I could feel that edge. You know, I could, it, it was there in, in real numbers for me. My ROI was telling me that, hey, you can do this. So I uh, worked out, a, uh, it, this took a while, but because I basically cold called Keeneland and, uh, offered them my professional betting services for a fee, uh, which they weren't that interested in, unbelievably, in the beginning. But uh, through some back and forth and, and uh, you know, it took some patience on my end, but eventually we worked out a, um, a wagering contract where I agreed to bet X number of dollars and, and, and they, need, they agreed to pay me a, it, what, you know, really was a modest rebate. Um, so I started in 2000 and, uh, by the middle of that year, six months in, I hit a, I hit a cold streak. Um, it, it, you know, first it was a, uh, a couple of weeks and, you know, then it's three weeks and, and I, I, I made some cutbacks. I lowered some limits then another three weeks went by and, and, uh, I really started to feel some pressure. You know, I'd only been doing this six months. I'd started out well, but, um, you know, I had a big house. I had a wife and young kids and uh, the kids are in an expensive private school and, you know, Shug McGahee's boys are their classmates. All the Ferris kids are there. It's, uh, uh, you know, there's an interesting sidebar there, or maybe interesting, uh, called the Lexington School, and it was actually started by the late uh, Josephine Abercrombie, who uh, owned Pin Oak Stud. Yeah. So, you know, kind of, uh, I had to be careful at the school events not to be a racing fanboy, you know. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, so I'm, 
this is my sole source of income at this point, but you know, my, the money I'm making, I'm making through the windows and I, I start to feel a little pressure to be honest. I start to question a little bit, you know, Hey, what, you know, what, uh, what have you actually done here? You know? So, uh, the drawdown started to hit me and, and I said, you know, I've been too slow to cut these limits. I've, I've just been kind of lax with this whole thing. Um, so I, I got very aggressive then and I cut my daily limit the amount that I would allow myself to lose to $800 a day. Let's pause on that for a minute. Just so people fully understand your limit that, I mean, you just explained it, but I just want to underline it. The amount that you will lose that you will allow yourself to lose in a day and your theory of money management that's detailed um, in the book. Yeah. No limit to what you can win, but you, 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 you are very concerned with limiting that downside to make yourself unable to chase. So when you're talking about getting down to 800 a day, I mean, this is a, a significant change from what you were doing when you set out to be a, a professional. You were clearly willing to put a lot more money in play, but such was the nature of this drawdown, this cold streak, that that's the point that you got to. Yes. Um, you picture me, Pete, in an office, and uh, I've, I've signed a contract with Keeneland guaranteeing that I'll bet a minimum of $2 million that year. And so I'm, 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 they were kind enough. They, I, they eventually built me an office, but at this point I'm in Keeneland's corporate box with windows. Uh, you know, there's no walls except the interior wall that goes to the hallway. It's all just big uh, windows from floor to ceiling. And I'm looking out over the track and I'm looking out over the, all the horse farms in the distance, you know, it was a, it was a beautiful setting, for, uh, but uh, it, it, you know, I, I wasn't spending much time looking out the window because I was really starting to feel a little heat because I, you know, now I've cut back to eight hundred dollars a day. Well, it takes a lot of eight hundreds to get to two million, <laughs> uh, and you know, so I'm. Uh, there were plenty of days, you know, when I was free rolling and playing loose, you know, earlier in that year where my limit was easily 5,000 a day and, and sometimes considerably more. Uh, But I felt like the prudent thing to do at that point was I just had to, I'd gotten to the point where I kid around with myself and say that I'm going to put the Hippocratic oath in effect, just do no harm. Uh, and, and at that point, that's what really what I was trying to do was just just to limit my losses and, and, and get my feet back under me. Well, I lost a couple of days. I lost the entire 800 a couple of days. And, you know, I'm I'm decide that that I need to go further. So I cut my limit to 400 a day. And my dad is with me every day. You know, he winters in Florida or did then. He, you know, he passed in 2017, but uh, he spent, you know, from April through uh, November in Kentucky. So he's with me every day. He's just he and I usually in this office. And he's saying, you've lost your mind. You know, your dad always had too high an opinion of my gambling skills. And he'd say, <laughs> you, you know, you 
you, you know, you, you don't need to be, I bet $400 a day, not you. You need to give yourself a chance to turn this around. But uh, even with, with him in my ear, I, you know, I just felt like the right thing to do. I just have to get small. So I go to 400 and I make another tweak after a couple of days. I, I found that the, what I was doing with the 400 the first couple of days was I was just basically entertaining myself. Uh, I, you know, I was making uh, little uh, action bets and, and just not really valuing the 400, you know, just so, uh, uh, you know, in such a punch drunk state at that point that I, that I was just, uh, you know, $20 here and $40 there and not really giving myself a chance for anything to happen. Um, so after a couple of days at the 400 level, I decided uh, I would just bet 400 on one race. And if I miss that race, I, that was my betting was done for the day. And I would just focus on keeping my biases up and taking my trips. Um, I, uh, I did that. It wasn't easy to do. I learned a lot about myself. I learned, you know, I'm not a, as patient a person as I thought I was. I learned how long a day at the races can be when you, when you made your $400 bet in the second at aqueduct and you're there, you know, till, uh, turfways running. But, um, it, it's, it, you know, it's a, uh, it was a good learning experience for me. So this goes on for a month and I, I just, you know, my money is totally dead. You know, a lot of these $400 horses that I was betting, an eighth of a mile in the race, I could have thrown the tickets up in the air. You know, the, the, I was, I, you know, I'd, I'd lost my feel for what was going on and, and I obviously lost some confidence. And um, I, I, it was so good that I was betting $400 a day. I almost felt like that was too much, but um, and I did, just didn't feel like, like I could go any lower. So, uh, you know, I would have easily lost whatever limit. A lot of those days, if my limit was 5,000 a day, I would have lost the 5,000. Um, and it wasn't that I didn't have access to it. It was just that, you know, the money management skills that, that I had were saying, you, you know, you have to stop losing. You have to limit these losses. So moving forward, now this has gone on three months and, you know, I'm just at my wits end. Um, one day I bet my 400 and lo and behold, the race runs exactly like I saw it. And I have a hundred dollar exacta box that pays $40. So I get back $2,000 and it seems like 200,000. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I'm so pleased that something positive has happened. Um, so I decide that I will take two days limits, $800. Um, and I believe it was a Wednesday, as I remember. And I said, well, you know, that'll pay Thursday and Friday's uh, limit. And, and, and then I'll, there was a horse a race I like later in the day. I'll bet the rest of this back into that race. So that seemed kind of, it was kind of a tuck, you know, but at the same time, giving me a little aggression. 
So I did that and and this race ran, you know, like kind of like I saw it, not perfectly, but but kind of like I saw it. So I in that day I'd made those two bets and I'd and I'd won eight thousand dollars. So the next day I, I I come back and overnight when I'd handicapped, I loved like the second race somewhere. And I just, I, you know, I, I got the scratches and I'm like, hope, well, I hope they don't scratch anybody out of that race. I love that race. So they didn't scratch anybody out. Everything's coming up right. Uh, you know, the, the betting board looks right. And I, I determined that since I won that money the day before, I will allow myself to bet $1,000 in this race. And if I miss, which I'm so, you know, really see this race clearly. I'm, I'm not thinking I'll miss, but if I do, I'm going to go right back to $400. And, and I kind of like make a blood oath with myself. I'm not going to go off the rails here. So that race runs right. And by the end of that second day, I've made everything back I've lost in those three months. <laughs> and dad was, you know, he was beside himself. He said, I've never, you know, if I had those skills, if I could manage my money like that, I'd be a really, really wealthy man. And, and I even thought to myself, I walked, you know, if I listed like the, the little short list of things that I'm the most proud of in, that I've done in racing, that would be right at, you know, one or two on the list because it you know, by far wasn't the most money I ever won, but it was maybe the smartest I ever felt. Uh, and I remember having the feeling like, you know, I, I'm, 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 I almost feel like that is my confirmation of, yes, I've made the right choice. Yes. I'm going to make it as a professional horse player. So it was a big deal to me. Uh, now, and, and then I went on from there and, and had a, you know, got on a little run and everything, you know, it was a happy ending. So fast forward to 2022 uh i yes i've had losing streaks and you probably heard me moan and groan about them at times of, uh, you know through the years but never anything like i experienced in 2000 that i just described it would you know you'd, you'd have a streak you'd get in a rut for a week or two and you know you wouldn't like come back and start lighting it on fire but you, you know, you would get your feet back under you. It just wouldn't go on forever. The bad, the bad streak. So in, I'll even start at the end of 2021. At the end of 2021, I had had a very good year. I was very pleased with myself. It'd been kind of a consistent year. My results were ahead of schedule. And I, I was just, you know, it really gave me a, a, a shot of, of, of energy and adrenaline because, uh, you know, the, the trend in racing had been so much, uh, always, you know, it's just so tough it, uh, every year it gets yep. harder. And, 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 and I say that all the time and it's very true, but, uh, this was a, 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 a respite from that in 21 in that, you know, you, I was actually pleased, you know, with where I was. Um, going into the Breeders' Cup, uh, I'm, you know, I'm ahead of schedule for the year and I'm feeling really pretty good about life. 
Um, when I look at the Breeders' Cup races, a horse just jumps off the pages at me like it did with a lot of people. And I think, well, modern games can't lose. Um, I'm always talking about, you know, how does the water, does the water run all in one direction when you're handicapping a race? Or are there a lot of cross currents? When I looked at him, I just thought everything points to that horse. Every handicapping factor that I value screams that it's him. Well, he's going to be the favorite, but he's not going to be two to five. You know, he's, he's going to be a horse that you can do something with. So luckily I bet, uh, I couldn't find anything vertically that I was excited about to, to, to hook up with him horizontally. Some of those races look like they made sense leading into there. And luckily I got like a super, super live, like, you know, just the right horse won a couple of those races leading up to, uh, to the modern games race. And I am so locked and loaded just in every pick when we get to him that it had been a long, long time uh, since I had been so um, loaded to a horse and ready to just crush, uh, uh, nod to JK, crush their souls. Uh, and, and then we, you know, we all know that the fiasco that that turned into. I was so. going to say, I was going to say, buckle your, if you don't know the story, buckle your seatbelts here. Yes. Yes. So a hundred percent right about modern games, but due to a bizarre and still <laughs> completely not sufficiently explained fiasco, he ran for purse money only. You got to be exactly right. And did you get anything back? No, I lost. I lost everything I bet in horizontals, which was a lot. Yeah, because they gave you a Danny Gargan horse with form from Monmouth. Good luck. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, so, you know, I knew I got, you know, I got screwed. I knew I got screwed. I knew nobody in power cared that I got screwed. So you just have to move on. And that night when, when my wife, Laura, and I had dinner, I mentioned to her, you know, I need to be careful. I'm have enough experience that the, you know, this is not going to happen, but I really need to, you know, to kind of keep an eye out because this is the kind of situation that can put you on tilt. So, uh, I'm very careful. I get through the next day, uh, the Saturday of the Breeders' Cup and, you know, it's just kind of a push. And, uh, so, you know, nothing really big happens. I, I net lose a little in November, December, and in the year with a very good year. But, you know, it, 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 the last two months are, you know, are mildly negative. I go into the first of the year and I'm, uh, you know, I've given this a lot of thought and this may sound a little crazy, but I, I, it's almost in, in, in the, you know, this may, be me needing your psychiatric help again, <laughs> but, or, or maybe this will resonate with some players out there. I don't know, but I, I've found that when I have an, I'll call that a near miss, the fiasco, cause I don't know what else to call it. Um, so when you have a near miss for a lot of money, it's worse than I, that, I guess. Huh? It's worse than a near miss, but yes. <laughs> yeah, it probably is. You have to watch yourself be right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh yeah. It was, it was, it was, it, you know, it was the worst of all worlds, Pete. It was, it, you know, yes, it made me want to. You usually get to see 
exactly what you thought happened and have them, you know, take the money out of your pocket. Exactly. If, you know, if, if these were track TVs on the wall in here, I might've ripped them off the wall. I was, I was screaming. I was so upset, but you know, I had to pay for these TVs. It's my home office. So I didn't, <laughs> rip, them, I didn't rip them out. But uh, so I, it's almost like I was, you know, like you subconsciously chase, like it wasn't that I was doing anything crazy. It's just like there was a number in the back of my head and I don't even know if it was conscious. I just felt like um, I was going to hit a big ticket. And that was the conscious feeling I had. And I think subconsciously it was all still tied to the, to the number that I was going to hang up. Uh, oh, the market just closed. There you go. Uh, it was uh, uh, it was all related to the to the number that I was going to hang up, uh, you know, with modern games. That's interesting. Uh, so so I although I wasn't, you know, I wasn't constantly and, and I even went and made an effort to because I'd given modern games to so many people around Lexington oh. that, uh, you know, I would be out for dinner and somebody would come up and you know, and, and one of like, you know, us trade sob stories about what happened with modern game. And like, after a couple of weeks of that, I, you know, I couldn't, I didn't want to go there anymore. Uh, so I get, you know, I start off, um, with a couple of near misses earlier in the year in 22. And, um, I'm just to be honest, I think I was a little full of myself. I think I kind of, uh, it'd been a long time since the year 2000 in that bad street. And it, and it wasn't like it had been a perfectly smooth ride since then, but you know, you could always work things out and things always kind of turned out all right in the end. And, and, uh, you know, I, I think I, I was reading my press clippings a little too much and I just, I got a little too comfortable with, kind of the thought, Hey, you know, you've been doing this a long time, you know, you'll, you know, you'll work this out. Well, then you look at, you know, January results and you look at February results and you're not in a, in a, in a real good spot. And one of my things that I've always tried to do is to start out each year, making myself kind of prove that, that I deserve to be betting bigger money, you know, to start out the year slow and, and, and always try to avoid digging a hole early in the year. And I didn't do a good job of that last year. I did a lousy job of it. Really. I wasn't doing like stupid, you know, going over my limit type things. I was, it was more just, um, you know, I was, um, um, yeah, I was running in, in, in a little bad luck and I didn't have the proper level of fear that I should have had. You know, I was a little, a little too comfortable with myself. So I look up and, and, you know, really do an evaluation a couple of months in, and it's the worst start I've had to a year in a long, long time. Let me interrupt you for a second, yes. Mike, in a, in a weird way. Did the miraculous turnaround of 2000 work against you in, in what you're describing in 2022? 
It absolutely did, Pete, because what I when I went back and, and analyzed what you know what I was doing was I had cut back limits in 22, not drastically, not like I really should have, but I had I had made a couple of small cuts. But as soon as I would have a winning day, uh, or absolutely if I had the if I backed it up with another winning day, then I was ready to go right back in and, you know, trying to reproduce the magic of 2000 that I was so proud of the turn the two day turnaround. Um, and the two day turnaround, guess what? It didn't happen. Um, it's a different world, right? I mean, to, to put it simply, it's a very different world. 2022 gambling to, you know, I mean, I don't know if you have, if you have it quantifiable in terms of what you expect to make on a dollar wagered, but I'm going to guess you were making, you know, way more than a dollar in 2000, as opposed to, you know, grinding a small profit, picking up pennies in 20,022. That's a, that's exactly right, Pete. And, you know, my edge has, has shrunk so dramatically in those 20 years, uh, those 22 years that it, that it's incredible. You know, if, the 2000 version of me would have never believed that it was possible that my edge could have shrunk to that degree. Uh, but you know, it, it, that is exactly has, you know, what has happened. So I, um, I went through, um, early 22 trying to, you know, reproduce this magic, uh, and it, that didn't happen, but that wasn't my only, um, uh, my only thing I, I didn't consider uh, properly early on was the other thing was I that carryovers had become so much more, uh, so much a bigger part of the game in 22 than they were in 2000. This is an interesting point, and it gets back to the conversation a little bit with Maury, too. So I definitely yeah. want to hear you expand on it. Yes. So my limit is different than it was in 2000. You know, the idea and the concept are the same, but carryovers have been very good to me. And I keep a very close track of where I make my money. Like what bets do I do best in? What tracks do I do best at? I I keep very close track of that. And, and it varies a little. You have to be careful. Like even on a year-to-year basis, it that's not a big enough sample size. So it's for me. I like to look at you know like a three-year kind of blended thing, to where uh, I know if somebody like dra- you know there was some drastic change at that track. You know they put in synthetic, or you know they changed their turf course or 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 whatever. Um, um, so I, 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 I try to factor in, you know, some of those things, but the, I, I keep a, I keep a close eye on that. And what I found is that, you know, there are certain situations with the, with the carryovers that are good for me. And, and, and I like almost any carryover, but you know, they're, uh, you know, there's certain tracks or, or, you know, certain times a year, or just different things 
that I found that, that I, that I do slightly better, you know, under those circumstances, but any carryover, you know, interests me. So what do I do now? Do I, you know, I'll have a hard time going to a, to a, a thousand or a 400 and this will sound crazy to some of the uh, regular players like I used to be when I started out there, you know, what's the deal with, you know, why can't you bet whatever you want to bet with, uh, you know, 500 or a thousand dollars a day? Well, uh, you know, it's a different game being a rebate player, you know, having a, a minimum that you have to meet. There's just different approaches that you have to make. And maybe that's a whole new pod, but, um, yeah. I'll, I'll leave it at, um, you, uh, you, you know, you, I'm basically going to make an adjustment on what I feel like the, the, uh, estimated size of the pool in my, in my mind is going to be versus what, you know, what would be the limit of what I might put in that carryover pool. So there's a lot of factors like that, that are, that are entering into the, to the decision. So what I decide to do <clears throat> is I will, uh, in order to bring my limits down to where I want to bring them, I will exclude the, the carryovers mm-hmm. and I'll put a separate limit on them. So now it gets more complicated. Um, and it gets, there's a lot more decisions to be made. Before, when I was playing that one $400 bet, things got very simple. I just had to find the, the race that I liked the most and then decide how to play it. Now, I have to make all these decisions like, do I want to get involved in this carryover? And how deeply do I want to get involved? And we're lumping mandatory payout in with carryover here for the purpose of this discussion, I presume. Yes, yes, yes. And we're not talking about playing uh, the rainbow at Gulfstream every day. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about the mandatories and uh, uh, true, you know, true, true carryovers. Yeah, is what I would say, not the, not the gimmick carryover. Right. So um, I, I start to get into some traps, Pete. I, uh, you know, once again, you get, you get some, some bad luck. You get some bad racing luck. It always you know, for me, and I think for most people, your, your worst racing luck you're ever going to have is going to show up in the worst losing streaks you ever have. I mean, they just kind of go hand in hand. They're like, uh, you know, DeVito and, and Schwarzenegger, you know, <laughs> they, they don't look alike, but you know, they're hand in hand. Uh, so that's kind of thing starts happening. You know, I get some guy falls off a horse at the gate, you know, uh, you get uh, a horse loaded on the turf, sitting in the pocket, and you know th- that you've keyed and he can't get out, and you know, and it's just like a comedy of errors that that happen all the way down the lane. Why he can't get out? Um, if he would have made just this little decision at the top of the lane, you know, everything's beautiful and he can't lose. Um, you just get repeated different little versions of that. And the, you know, that's racing luck and it, and it all evens out. Uh, but, uh, it doesn't feel like it's going to even out when it hits you at, 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 at the wrong time. 
So in the middle of this, I, I, <laughs> this is embarrassing, but I, as long as I'm airing my dirty laundry, I'm going to hang it all out there. Uh, so th- this is like a pair of 20 year old boxers or something, what I'm about to say. Uh, th- this is, uh, or maybe tidy whities Yeah. 20 year old tidy whities Uh, so, uh, I make a $20,000 mistake on a ticket. Oh no. Uh, I'm, and I'm doing a sequence of bets and somehow I just. Mispunch like, or miscall? No, 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 I'm punching it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm punching it myself. And uh, just on my laptop and I fat finger, a, you know, a three into a four. And, uh, and and here's the thing is there's a sequence of like eight tickets, Pete, and it's the only ticket I do it on. I went back and looked at the ticket. Every other race, I hit the right number. Oh. I mean, every other ticket, I hit the right number. Uh, so, you know, that's just where you are. You know, that is the kind of thing that happens that, you know, I tell the in the, you know, when we were writing the book, I don't think we actually put that in the book. I hope not, but I talked about, I've talked about that when you really have that come to Jesus moment, when the races have just, you know, drops you on your knees. And I'll always say, I ended up in the basement, in the, in, in my underwear, in the dark, you know, trying to, we did that with the black tie affair story. Oh, okay. Well, that one deserved it. Uh, so, you know, so you, you the day wins and you get nothing. That kind of exactly. That, you, that you, version of the book. if you play the races seriously long enough, they will, you know, it'll be your version of putting you on your knees. You know, they'll, what, what wherever you go and whatever you do, maybe it's tying one on at the bar, but you know, whatever you do to try to like stop the pain, they'll put you there. So, uh, you know, this was my moment after I made that mistake on the ticket. I'm just like, you know, what's next? You're just in the wrong frame of mind. And it's easy for your friends to say, yeah, you just need to take a deep breath and start over tomorrow. Yeah, easy to say. But, you know, the first thing that, you know, the first horse that gets left a couple of lengths early in the day, the first thoughts you have in your head is, oh, here we go. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tough situation to deal with. And what, even with all my experience and I'm a pretty low key guy and, and I, you know, we wrote a book about how to deal with these things. So, you know, a couple of times I actually got the book down and, and, you know, read through a couple of things, trying to just, uh, you know, get the right ideas and the right thoughts in my head. Um, but you're to the point where you're playing really tight. So it's easier to pass a winner. It's which, you know, is a, is a needed thing to be a good horse player. We say in the book, if you, you know, if you never pass a winner, you're betting too many races. And I truly believe that. But when you start second guessing yourself i call it sometimes double crossing yourself it's it's easier to pass that winner bet the loser um you know you just get into that into that mode where your confidence is is weak and your uh your fears are strong and it's uh it's very tough to turn it around uh I I want to follow up about the carryover specifically. Right. 
part of getting out of it. Did you change your approach? Have you changed your approach to carryovers in 23 as opposed to 22 before we get into the particulars of how you I, I, I have, Pete, and I think it's just a function of overall losing my edge because it stands to reason if I'm, you know, if my edge is shrinking overall and every year I eliminate some bets from my betting repertoire in order to, you know, what I'm trying to do is eliminate the marginal plays that might turn into losers, net losers. Um, that That is going to be true in the carryover pools too. So I'm being, you know, I pass a lot more carryovers and I play them differently than I used to, you know, in five years ago, I just kind of waded into some of those carryovers because uh, the, you know, the risk reward was good enough where, you know, there's a lot of money in the pool. I would intentionally throw in a loose ticket or two just, um, just because in case something stupid happened, you know, because there was enough money in there to justify. That's almost um, impossible now, I'd say. With as efficient yeah, exactly as that that loose number doesn't exist. You know, it's covered now. Right. So That's- yeah. So you don't. There's no use even. You know, throwing your money at that pool sweeping isn't isn't what it used to be. This was a conversation <laughs> we had we had off air that I think is worth bringing up. But before I ask you to comment on that, I just want to bring up that idea. You know, Maury had the idea, and this also combines with an idea that Eric Bilek shared with me recently, like the effective takeout isn't necessarily your takeout. When you know that you're playing against 30, 40% of the pool that is going to win, that changes what your takeout is as opposed to the actual takeout or the effective takeout. And as Eric Bilek says about some of these bets, the takeout is the takeout, but the math is the math. And when you do the parlay math and it's ridiculously underlaid, corrected for takeout, like you have to factor that into how much money you're willing to risk in these pools. Absolutely. You, you and Eric are exactly right. And, and, you know, it's very insightful and, and unfortunately that's the way you have to think in today's racing world. Um, it, it's, um, uh, you have to reevaluate and question everything that you're doing. You know, if you're a serious player, the, you know, one of the scary things is, you know, the recreational player doesn't really have the time or the inclination to ask those hard questions. So, uh, you know, they, their only real feedback is, is their, their wagering account. And I, unfortunately, the results that I hear from, from ADWs, uh, you know, and I, it's not like I get to see the books of every ADW, but once in a while I, I do, you know, get a, get a, uh, a report on something. And, uh, there are very, very few winners. It's not um, I don't know if that's your experience, but I oh, would, okay. I would feel confident it is. No, I got in big trouble. I got in big trouble on on the on the internet at some point for for having the temerity to suggest that based on the results I've seen at ADWs that people and horse players have concerns other than EV and other than other than winning. Like there's something else 
going on that's motivating players because you just you see the numbers and they're not pretty. And that that's not saying you shouldn't try to win. And that's not saying it's impossible to win. But in terms of like if we identify the current customer of horse racing, winning is not is clearly not their primary concern because it's just impossible that it would be when you see the 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 somewhat the somewhat dire numbers. Now I don't want to go too doom and gloom and I want to get this back to you and how you pulled it out. And then even more importantly even if you're a player who's playing recreationally, which is what I'm doing at this point, I want to zero in on some advice that's going to help them. And even if it's not to become a winning player, what's going to help you to lose less and make the pastime of playing the horses more enjoyable and 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 more uh, something that you can have fun with and and be a, a healthy part of your you know balanced entertainment lifestyle if that makes sense. Right. Exactly. 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 And and I'm 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 anxious to get to that point and, and talk about those things because I have some ideas. But uh, I'll 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 wrap this up with uh, you know we've kind of gone through the first half of 2022 for me and the second half of the year. I just I I got into a very tight mode where I even got very tight on in the care on the carryover side and tried not to get myself involved just because there was a carryover, you know, to try to wait until there's a carryover and there's a race that I feel like I have an edge in. And uh, you know, I was just using a lot more discretion about the the uh areas that I waded into which is just, you know, that's something that I'm hoping to care, carry forward is to be more careful about those things. And, and uh, you know, unfortunately, that is, is where I am. That seems to be the answer to every uh, question I ask myself is to bet less. Mm-hmm. Bet less often and bet less money, risk less money. And that can't be good for, for racing long term. Uh, you know, when a guy that, that was approaching $20 million a year is, is, is betting too, I, I, you know, I, somebody's going to have to explain to me how, how that's good for racing, but, uh, that's where we are. And, and I have no choice, uh, and you know, any one that's trying to either make a living at the track or supplement their income at the track, they, they don't have a choice you know, you, you have to adjust you're wagering to what the opportunities are. So, uh, you know, it, it, I don't choose to cut my wagering back. Uh, you know, the, the circumstances of racing, the decisions that have been made by racing's leaders basically force me to make these decisions to bet less. I, I feel bad navigating you away from that topic because I know you have valuable stuff to say. No, no, I, I, yeah, I know. And I, but I'm, that's my soapbox that is always with me, Pete. It has a little handle on it. So <laughs> I, no, I carry it everywhere, but I'm, I'm, I'm not. No, I, don't, I don't shy away from the topic for politics. I just, I, with I 10 you. minutes left, I want to, I want to focus in a right. different area, but you know, I mean, if you go back and you listen to the, the you know, I think the current conversation with Maury, if, if folks can find the conversation that Marshall and I had with Jessica Paquette out at Arizona, I mean, it's, it's getting into, to very much of those, of those same things, but I want to hear in the time we have left, Mike, how you, how you did dig out. And then again, especially the lessons that our audience might be able to try to put into effect to improve their quality of experience in terms of playing the horses. Yeah. Well, Pete, the, the, the honest answer is I didn't really dig out. 
I had the the worst year of my professional horse playing career. The the only thing I did was the second half of the year, I basically played even uh, throughout the second half of the year and stopped the bleeding, which was my you know number one concern halfway through the year. Uh, fortunately, this year has started out well, and I'm you know, very pleased with what's gone on in 23 up to this point. No, no particular changes. I mean, you said playing less, playing fewer races, but anything else, any other takeaways? I was wondering if it was going to be almost like poker where you described, you know, not unlike how you pulled out in 2000, the, the idea of being tight and aggressive, that, that, that combination. I was just curious if there was any other, any other pattern, or if it was more a question of just, well, it, you know, it, it, it was, that was the thought Pete, but it, it, I was playing tight and giving myself a chance to score with a really small percentage of my wagers. And unfortunately, you know, I cashed a few nice tickets, but I didn't cash anything in the second half of the year that, you know, had the huge impact that, you know, that turned everything around. And were there opportunities that, that, that maybe if I was more aggressive or, you know, you might say reckless that I could have, it's possible. I don't know for sure, but I thought the prudent thing to do at that point, I just, I knew in the middle of 22 that I wasn't in my optimum horse playing frame of mind. So I would rather, uh, you know, make my, make my limit that I have to bet for the year, survive the year, and then uh, start anew with a, you know, with a really tight limit to begin the year. And, you know, luckily that's worked out well, but I, you know, I wish I had the the big uh, dramatic feel good story to end 22. I was certainly trying my best, but uh, it, it, it is more realistic that you don't. And it, it also speaks to the idea of staying in the fight. And it speaks to the idea that money not lost at the end of the day is the same thing as money won. And nobody talks about that. <laughs> it is. And, and you said you, you touched on something there. If, if, if you're someone that, that, bets enough money where you can take yourself out of the game, which, you know, that's always possible with me. You know, I, 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 uh, I'm, I'm betting enough money, even at my reduced betting that, you know, you can do some damage to yourself. So financially, so I, I, you know, I, I don't, uh, I want to take that out of the equation as much as, as possible. So, whatever rules I come up with and the rules I came up with for this year for myself are they're focused on, uh, you know, protection of capital and they're, they're, they're focused on, uh, staying in the game, which, um, I think, you know, that's, um, uh, you know, that's gotta be job number one for me is, is I, I need to, uh, I think enough of my skill and, uh, you know, my determination and I'm getting a little long in the tooth now, but, uh, you know, don't, uh, don't make a bet that I won't, uh, slip one in on them at some point this year. 
<laughs> I, you know, it's it, what my main focus is not, hey, I need to cash a $100,000 ticket in the first three months of 23. My main focus is I need to to play the horses in a responsible way where my money management skills have a chance to to keep me in the game and to maximize my chances at, at making money. I want to pull back to that idea of the pool sweep and what that used to mean to you and if it's relevant at all today in these new efficient markets. Um, yeah, you, you just, you know, you, you, I'm not interested in button heads with the computer teams. I, you know, they're gonna, you know, they're probably going to outthink me and, and they're definitely going to outcapitalize me. So, uh, I, I'm more interested in, uh, staying in my lane and my lane used to be like eight lane highway in California. Now my lane is more like I-75 in Kentucky, you know, couple of lanes. So, I, you know, I know the things that, that, you know, that I'm the best at. And, you know, those are generally, uh, you know, working biases and trip notes and, and, you know, betting of the day bias and using bias notes and trip notes from previous races and, and coming up with a horse that, that I, th- you know, I see the, the public and the computer teams are not pricing properly. And that still happens. I mean, it happens way, way less than it used to. But if you do the work, it, you know, you still get your chances. You just, you can't fat finger the three and the four when your chance comes up though. You, got, you know, you gotta, you gotta be a sharpshooter. And, and like I say, you, you, you have, or the, I shouldn't say you, I say, I have to, um, uh, I have to be I use a lot more discretion uh, about what races I, I I get in and how I approach them, and um, I have to, um, you know, I have to be willing to let the marginal plays go. And when they win, when that, you know, when I could have bet five hundred dollars potentially in that marginal race and gotten back ten thousand. I have to just be willing to let that roll off my back. That's part of the game now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just have to keep looking for that next opportunity and then try to take advantage of it when it, when it finally comes along. You know, and one thing I, I didn't mention when I was talking about 2023 that I just pulled up my little book here that I keep, and it, here's exactly what I wrote. Uh, protect Profits. Stay cautious until results in capital letters tell me to begin to raise limits and become more aggressive. I mean, that sounds like the the the, the mantra that you need right now. Yeah, yeah, and and I, you know, it it. Why would a person that's been doing this for nearly fifty years uh, need to write something down as simple as that? But it, uh, you know, anything I can do like that, that keeps my mindset where I think it should be and, and gives me some guardrails. Um, I, I, you know, I try to do it because, uh, 
this is so much a mental game. If you're in front of a computer screen or, or, you know, on your phone or ever how you like to bet horses and you're doing it almost every day, you're, you know, some of your biggest competition or, or one of the biggest factors that can throw you off your game and hurt your results is you, is, is you not being sharp or you not having your head in the right place? Are you getting frustrated and, and going on slight tilt and saying, well, I don't really give a shit. I'm going to bet this anyway. You can't do that in today's world and expect to, you know, to make money. Anything from a handicapping point of view that you'd give as advice, things that people maybe aren't focusing on enough or are focusing on too much? Well, I don't, I don't know that I have that. Uh, I, I will say from my own play, I used to spend, you know, how much time I spent on, on, uh, making my own times. And I took a lot of pride in that. Uh, I no longer do much of that. Um, and the reason is, is that I find the, the times that are available are generally right. Uh, so speed figures here specifically, I'm, I'm still doing what we, uh, talked about in betting with an, in an, with an edge is I, I look at buyer figures and I look at time form US and I my the assumption I make is if those two figures agree and there's, you know, there's a, you know, a, a little number you can use. And I think the number varies depending on the surface and, and different factors. But the uh, the number, you, you know, you make an adjustment between those two numbers. And after adjustment, if those numbers agree buyer figures and time form us figures, then I'm pretty confident that that number's right. And, and there's no use in me spending hours to, to come up with the, the third number that agrees. So, um, I try to spend that time now doing more trip work and, uh, uh, you know, basically adding in different tracks that I'll, that I'll keep, uh, more trip notes on. So uh, used to be most of my trip notes were were uh, just a uh, you know basically two circuits uh, and and it was always Kentucky and then one other circuit that I would focus on that that revolved around the country. But uh, now I try to do a little more. I try to keep some more uh, trip notes in in uh, New York and different places just for when there is that carryover situation. I feel a little more prepared and, and, uh, you know, another thing is, is, is watch horses. Um, I put a lot of time into that now. I've always kept a watch list, but I feel like I'm doing a better job of that now than I've ever done before. And my results are excellent with my watch list. Um, so that's, uh, that's a good one. Yeah. That's that, but those two things speak to the same point, which is, that trips watch horses that that's your own subjective view of the race it makes sense to me that that wouldn't necessarily be priced properly by by the rest of the market what will draw you into the carryover situation these days do you need three strong opinions in a five or six race sequence like what what kind of rules do you make for yourself as to when to get involved i feel like a lot of people reflexively now are saying i'm just not going to mess with these at all i don't think that's quite right but it's certainly not right to just play them reflexively like what goes into that decision making process for you yeah you have to have keys absolutely um 
you know, the, if, and this rarely happens anymore, you know, my alarm bells go off quickly, but uh, if I ever, you know, am, am writing down uh, a three by three by two kind of, you know, if I get three races in like that, the, yeah, I'm going to stop and say, where's my single, you know, and, and unless I have two really strong opinions in those remaining three races, then, uh, you know, I need to move on and, and just go somewhere else. Um, another thing that, that, that's very subjective that, that I probably, uh, put more emphasis on than most players is it matters to me how, in the flow I am at that particular track where the carryover is. Um, if I feel like I'm really in touch with the track, then I'll still wait in there. You know, I, I, um, I'll, I'll rely on, on structuring a bet properly and using skills there, you know, so I, I think I can compete in, in, at a track that I'm comfortable with even if I don't have uh, like a great single, uh, I'll find a way to maybe play two or three different tickets and, and I'm, I'm singling, but I'm, I'm not putting all my eggs in one basket like you would with a true single. One thing I wanted to ask you about um, being in the flow specifically, and we're running out of time here, but, I, but this is an important point. One thing I know you've always been really good at is capitalizing on the short-term fluctuations in form, the trainer or the jockey that gets the big long shot to overperform, maybe not winning, but running third or fourth, things like that. Do, have you noticed that, is, is there still any edge in trying to pick up on that or have the teams and the way they're betting? It seems to me that might be a really hard thing for them to pick up on just the way that, even, you know, even sophisticated AI, like it seems like it would be hard to, it feels like the human brain might do a better job of that than the computer. What have you noticed as far as those short-term fluctuations of form from trainers and jockeys? Is it as important, more important, or less important than it ever was? Well, I think it's less important, but I think there's still an edge there. I think there's still value there. So uh, the interesting thing to me is I'm sure the the computer teams are, are, are on that and that they're That's factoring right. that in to some degree in their own way. I don't know if they catch the horses that are that are bombs that run second or third that run basically winning races. Uh, you know, the, the the teams may be more focused in on on wins in the last X number of days or starts. I'm not sure exactly. I, I should uh, have not educated myself well enough on what the teams actually do, but um, you know, I just have the rough idea that a lot of us have. Um, but what you know one of the things that that i noticed that that i think has really changed is the uh just the general chatter among everyday horse players about hot streaks and in the uh in the players being on their game or off their game i you know i know there's always been uh that's been looked at to some degree but it sure seems like there's a lot more chatter about that now than there than there was eight or ten years ago yeah i think that's about right any final thought mike before we uh, wrap this edition of the show really appreciate you uh coming on here and being so honest about obviously topics that aren't easy to, to to talk about um but but curious if there's anything else you had in your notes that you wanted to get out there before we wrap it up 
Um, you know, and nothing specific, Pete, but I, I think I would like to, to just say, and maybe this is, is, is a little preachy. I don't really mean it to be that way, but, um, just that if, you know, I, I always think of the 25 year old Mike Maloney. I was so hungry for any kind of information that had to do with racing or, or betting on horses. You know, I would do anything to, to, to learn something. I, I was so hungry for it. And, you know, I think I've said this on the show before about, you know, if this show was around then, oh, I, you know, it would have, you know, it would have saved me a lot of beating my head against the wall, listening to people that, you know, different views on different things and, and almost everyone, you know, being a, a good, uh, solid opinion on how to do this or how to do that. And, and there's just so much to learn. I mean, it really, it's a, it's a great service that you do for the, for the handicapping public. But, um, and I mean that sincerely, um, the, the thing I would say is I think one little offshoot of that is that there are probably, and I, when I think of this, I think of the 25 year old version of me that, that, you know, you could hear some of these ideas and, uh, you know, you, you, it would be easy to get ahead of yourself. You know, yeah. uh, I think, you know, what we have on racing TV and racing Twitter with all the tickets that are put up and, and, you know, there are, I think there are people out there, especially young people that think it may be as easy as just betting those tickets you see on the screen or betting those tickets you see on your, on your feed. And, uh, you know, you're going to make money or you listen to this guy, uh, his view of racing or the principles that he uses to, to get by at the track. And you think, well, you can just emulate what he does and you're going to make money at the track. Well, um, you know, I think the truth is we, and we both basically said it today is it's, 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 you know, very rare to the point of, of a unicorn to find someone that is not a, com- a computer team or a dedicated computer individual player or some dinosaur like me that's still finding a way to scratch out a living. Uh, you know, aside from that group of people, it, it it's, you know, most of the, of the regular players are, uh, hopefully they're doing it for entertainment purposes because it's, it's a, it's a hard way to make an easy living. And it's something I would never enter into as, you know, as a way to make a living at this point. You know, if I'm, if I'm 25 and I know what I know now, I'm, there are lots of other things that I would do uh, for a living. And this is a great way to entertain yourself and, and spend some of your discretionary money having a great time because it's a, it's a wonderful, uh, it's a wonderful game, but, um, I just want to, you know, I just feel obligated to, to kind of touch on that and, and put a word of caution out in the air. No, I don't blame you at all. And it gets me back to Maury's advice to a young horse player, learn to code, learn. To code. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mike, this was fantastic. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you coming on here today. And we'll have you back on very soon to maybe we'll have you look back at some derby preps as we've done in the past. That's always fun. All right, Pete.
Very good stuff. We'll thank Mike Maloney one more time. We'll thank our founding partners, the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation and 10 Strike Racing. Around here, you know how we always love to root for the purple and black. Most of all, though, I want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. Check out the other show from this week with Nick Tamaro. Looking back at Derby Preps, you can find that on our YouTube channel, In The Money Media, or in your podcast feed. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We appreciate your support. Sign up for our free email newsletter to keep track of everything we've got coming down the pike. InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash email. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge champion, Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatal. May you win all your photos!